This is the Eco Business Podcast. I'm Liang Li. Southeast Asia's energy demand is rising fast, but the region is slow in adopting clean electricity. Nearby countries have said that they like to share renewable energy with the region by connecting their power grids. Will it work? In a recent report by energy think tank Amber, in the past six years, under 40% of Southeast Asia's new electricity demand was met with clean energy sources like solar, wind and hydropower. So the growth of fossil fuels is outpacing renewables. While the focus has been on increasing domestic supply of renewables within Southeast Asia, neighbouring countries have presented plans to provide clean electricity through grid interconnections. That's China's Global Energy Interconnection Project from back in 2015. The One Sun, One World, One Grid initiative announced by India and the United Kingdom last November also involves connecting Southeast Asia to a larger Asian clean energy network. Meanwhile, Australian firm Sun Cable is raising money to build 4,000 kilometres of undersea cables to send solar power to Singapore. These projects come with policy considerations for Southeast Asia. Does the region need the import of renewables? Is it beneficial? What are the key challenges and how can the region best leverage on such opportunities? For these questions, I'm joined by two experts. On the podcast is Benny Suryadi from the ASEAN Centre for Energy, an intergovernmental organisation in Southeast Asia. Benny is the manager of the Power Fossil Fuel Alternative Energy and Storage Department at the center. We also have Arika Hamdi, an energy finance analyst at the US-based Institute for Energy Economics and Financial Analysis, or AIFA. Arika keeps a keen eye on Southeast Asia and is based along with Benny in Indonesia. Thanks both for joining me today. Hi, Leah. Thank you for having us over. Let's start with you, Benny. What are the current prospects for clean energy imports into Southeast Asia? Where are they now? And are there perhaps other initiatives I've missed beyond the ones I've mentioned from China, India, and Australia? Thank you, um, Um The export-import of the clean energy into or, or from the Southeast Asia region are actually uh, not new. Um, April 2009, uh, the 600 megawatt uh, Sewili River Cascade One hydropower station was complete and put into operation and transmitted power of the 300 megawatt, respectively, to uh, China and Myanmar. In the same year, China's southern power grid supplied electricity to the northern Lao PDR by 115 kV lines to alleviate a local power shortage. Until now, that China has transmitted more than a thousand gigawatt hours to Lao PDR. Uh, this transmission is part of the Lao PDR, Thailand, and China power interconnection projects. And another example is in Myanmar with the Bangladesh and China power integration projects. Also, um, as Myanmar lack of the power supply but has abundant uh, resource on the hydropower. So uh, in the short term, Myanmar receive a supply of electricity from China, even though in the long run it will be uh, uh, vice versa. Uh, our recent studies also identified that China-Vietnam interconnection project is also technically economy feasible. So this project will provide a 600 kV uh, SVDC transmission with capacity of 4 gigawatt with the sending electricity from Yunnan, China to the Homing city. Uh, so nowadays, a part of what you already mentioned that the interest of the Australia Sun Cables or the One Sun One World One Grid initiative. So I see there is a clear prospect from the for the clean energy imports into uh, this region. 
Erica, do you want to add anything based on you know what you see in the region? Right. So um, I know that Benny will probably be more on the positive side of things. Um, <laughs> ACE has always been, um, I think they have done a, a tremendous work on the ASEAN super grid issue. And um, I mean, despite everything that the prospects uh, Benny has mentioned, I think most of the examples that Benny given are more on bilateral agreement or only one or two countries uh, agreement. And these are mostly based on geopolitical security consideration. So, but if we're looking at a bigger interconnection between a number of countries, you know, the issue with cross-border power export is more than just about supply and demand. It's actually about the grid infrastructure buildup. And building grid interconnections require a lot of tedious work and even more tedious synchronization effort between each country's operators. And also there's always this issue about energy security. I mean, yes, ASEAN has a cooperation agreement in place, but doesn't mean that each of these countries have their own energy security, energy uh, reliability issues within themselves. And there's also, of course, the regulatory and social economic issues that are different among the countries. So the difficulties in um, land acquisition or subsea cables for you know, acquiring the rights of ways on top of technical ones, of course. So I'm not saying that there aren't any prospects, but there are issues and risks to highlight. And this, you know, this certain kind of risk that each country face will make scaling up difficult. Sure, that's a great point, Erika. And I'm sure we'll get to that with the questions later. But I guess I just want to still keep the conversation at a bird's eye view for now. Erika, I want to ask, does Southeast Asia need clean energy imports from other countries? Well, to put it simply, Southeast Asia definitely needs more energy as its economic grows very rapidly. However, currently, I think the only country that will probably be more in need of energy import is Singapore because they are lane constrained. And because they're higher, uh, their power consumption is higher per capita. So, and also because Singapore is probably the only one able to afford a more expensive renewable energy in the next few years. You know, if if we're talking about solar energy with uh, the current battery storage and or, you know, wind energy with the current battery storage, it is still more expensive in Southeast Asia. Um, compared to hydro, for instance, especially if it's existing hydro that has been built for many numbers of years, like what um, Laos have. Other Asian, other Asia countries, including China and India, currently have a lot um, of demand domestically, and I think it they might be better off trying to build their own supply and use it domestically um, first before putting it out there for other countries. And remember that power is not only about supply and demand, but also about the grid infrastructure. So the conditions of each country's systems and the condition of each country's grids might be different with each other, right? So this, this kind of challenges, if you're trying to interconnect a lot of countries, it will take a longer time. So the, the gestation period for that interconnection ballot project uh, from Laos to Singapore took eight years. The ASEAN supergrid has been around and discussed between these countries for more than 20 years. So they, this highlights the kind of challenges of interconnections. Benny, what do you think about this? It could be yes or could be no. I start by echo what uh, Erica said that the demand is rising. 
uh, and to meet the rising demand sustainability and to change the status quo require the transitioning from the fossil fuels to clean energy source, right? Um, fortunately, that's uh, meeting uh, future regional demand with the clean energy is technically and economically feasible. On the technical side, in spite of the Singapore, that uh, in general, that ASEAN has abundant clean energy resource. Uh, as part of our recent study, we just, we just uh, conclude that the ASEAN Interconnection Master Plan study, the technical potential of the more than 8,000 gigawatt of solar and three, more than three, uh, 300 gigawatt of a cross wind capacity per year, uh, generating about uh, 12,000 terawatt hours per year and 700 uh, terawatt hours per, per year for solar and wind. It's way more than what this region is needed. And then on the economic side, uh, the cost of clean energy generation, for especially for wind and solar, as we see that um, become more and more competitive uh, compared to the cost of fossil fuels generation. Uh, but despite this, there are several obstacles impeded the uptake of renewable energy or clean energy in this region. Uh, first, uh, while the, some countries are rich in the clean resource, uh, but these resources are often located far from the demand center, creating a geographic mismatch between supply and demand. The second, due to the temporal uh, variation, uh, demand peaks do not align with the supply peaks, uh, both in terms of the daily timing and seasonal uh, variation. Uh, this create uh, a temporal mismatch. So this is where importing the clean energy among the ASEAN countries or with its neighboring country could have helped to address uh, this obstacle and increase the ratio of the clean energy in the energy mix. Benny, just wanted to pull up on what you said. You mentioned that Southeast Asia has more renewable energy potential than what we need, but it's just within Southeast Asia, there's some geographical mismatch. Then I'm just wondering, what is the role of imports then? Is it to support the countries who may not have sufficient renewable energy resources, or is there still opportunity for a wider integration? Um, it, could, it could be a play for both cases. I mean, maybe in, in several contexts that uh, we have an issue of the shortage supply in Myanmar, where they have a difficulty to utilize their own uh, resource. That's that where the importing the clean energy from the China become a better option. Another example that where we see in the Thailand, we've seen that the number of business location that near to the border of Laos, Laos PDF, for example, that uh, far from the renewable energy resource. And if they are utilizing that uh, other resources in natural gas or others uh, to fulfill the causes, maybe it's more expensive rather than tapping the potential importing the clean energy from the uh, neighboring countries. Gotcha, Benny. And Erika, let me just go back to what you mentioned that the development of ASEAN Power Grid is still a bit slow within Southeast Asia. Is that then a case that Southeast Asia as a bloc isn't able to fully leverage on any benefits of getting electricity imported into the region because we can't share it efficiently in a sense? I think it's much more complicated than that, Liang Lates, uh, <laughs> because this is a cross-border cooperation entails a lot of issues between the countries, right? So it's not only about the technical side, but also geopolitical. 
uh, energy export import is great in concept, but it might be hard to realize in practice, uh, you know, considering there are many issues, like Ben just said, different te- uh, typologies of geographies, different kinds of political system in the country, you know, a, a country's economic growth, whether the country will be able to pay for the imported price, you know, uh, as asked by the supplier, uh, wealthier countries with, you know, more democratic political system might have more leverage for uh, to, to see this cooperation goes through to the finish line, but to have a scale as big as, let's say, the European interconnections, there are much, much more issues that would be, let's just say, will be hard, harder to tackle and will need a longer time because this is, uh, at the end of the day, is an economic and political cooperation among the countries. And after all, energy is a very important commodity that can affect self-sufficiency and economic development, isn't it, within Southeast Asia? So I'm just wondering, are there any geopolitical issues to look out for when we also talk about energy imports? Let me just get an example for the proposed Sun Cable um, project. If we're just talking about the supply side from the Sun Cable there's no issue basically from the Australian government side. They have just cleared um, their, I think, environmental permits for uh, Sand Cable to, to build their uh, generation capacities in the northern Australia. And, you know, they have, I think they, they're currently trying to, to find financing for it. And also there's no issue on the demand side. You know, Singapore is very willingly, they will take the uh, the power supply, but the issue is the interconnection, right? And it needs to go through Indonesian waters. And up until today, although they have received permit from Indonesia, it is only a permit to conduct survey for their undersea cables and nothing more than that. I'm pretty sure that there is an ongoing discussion at the back of it, but it shows that uh, it is not as smooth as um, they would have wanted it to be. Um, At the end of the day, energy security is probably the most critical issue that is always at the back of every government's mind. Cool. And I think we've talked a lot about challenges. Let's talk a bit about any ingredients for success. I'm just wondering, um, Benny, do you want to lead on this? I'm just wondering, the, the question is basically, you know, we've heard that there are opportunities with energy imports, although there are also challenges. Moving on, what are some of the key things we have to do to make sure that we can fully leverage on this opportunity in the next few years? Uh, yeah, just continue from the previous one. As the main obstacle is more on the geopolitical concern, but a bit. then the key ingredient, ingredient will be uh, the leadership of the government who are involved in this um, um, cross-border um, connectivities. Um, taking, for example, that uh, Lao PDR, Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore Power Integration Project that just recently commenced, where Singapore will import up to 100 megawatt of renewable and hydropower using existing interconnection. The leadership uh, by the government is definitely the key ingredient for the success of this. Uh, I'll recommend that the initiative of Russian Power will be in existence, uh, I think, um, more than 20 or 30 years um, ago, where much of it rely in the hand of the utility. 
And this is where utility is only talking in the business to business that how much I gain, how much I lose of this contact. While this uh, clean energy and uh, cross-border interconnection cannot be only talking the benefit of the economy. It must be looked in the more comprehensive views, comprehensive manner, and being addressed in all spectrum of the economy, security, geopolitical, and etc. Benny, sorry, just to stay on with you, just wondering if we talk about energy imports from other countries into Southeast Asia, for example, you know, what we have currently with the plan with India and China, should this kind of energy import projects be talked about at a country level where individual Southeast Asian countries are involved? Or should there be a larger ASEAN level plan or policy around such imports? The way we approach the in building the uh, regional cross-border interconnection is starting with the bilateral basis and then gradually move to the sub-region and then aiming for the full integration uh, as well. Um, and um, the approach is always starting with the bilateral where the countries is trying connecting it uh, on the bilateral basis and then continuously expand it. Erika um, mentioned a very pertinent point on the pilot project before. So this if starting by bilateral as a pilot project, allowing uh, both sides uh, to have a more confidence about that projects. And then also, for example, that uh, one country is in Southeast Asia, Asia can also see that how the neighboring can learn on that to be cross-border integration. So this is how the approach, and then I see this will continue to be the approach uh, 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 the long run to, to multilateral regional integration. And Erika, just wondering your thoughts on the level of planning, collaboration, and policy making that we should be talking about when it comes to energy imports into Southeast Asia. It's a, <laughs> that's a very complicated question to answer, actually. But I, I I would echo what Benny said. It's the leadership from each country that will make a difference, because um, at the end of the day, when you're talking about power or energy uh, in general, you know, stronger cooperation among countries bilaterally or regionally is, is basically the key to success. And, um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, some, some lesson learns uh, or exchanging of lesson learns from whatever pilot projects that have already existed. And um, of course, the another important point for, you know, you were asking about key ingredients for success is the availability of financing from the wealthier country. Uh, could also be um, the trigger for any kinds of projects on this transmissions uh, infrastructure project because it, it needs, you know, as with other transmission or other infrastructure projects, it is very capital heavy upfront. So the kind of financing that is available, the kind of um, willingness from the government to provide uh, additional support, for instance, guarantees or support on land acquisitions for right-of-ways, those are probably the things that would make uh, the interconnection project uh, faster the, uh, uh, to realize. Actually, there's an important point, right? We haven't talked a lot about financing um, in this podcast. Uh, Erika, I'm just wondering, you know, when it comes to the scale of the projects we're talking about, if it's from other countries into Southeast Asia, who should be providing this financing? Is it the role of multilateral banks or do countries have to collaborate or are there any other ways to finance such big projects? Because after all, we're talking about possibly very long 
um, transmission cables, very huge storage facilities, etc. Right? Yeah, I mean, ideally, it would be coming from uh, concessional financing because we need cheaper financing for this kind of projects, right? Because transmission and in, uh, grid infrastructure is not is not a project that would have a huge margin. Um, uh, profit margins. So concessional financing from multilateral development banks, from world banks, from ADBs, you know, those kind of financing will be crucial as well as probably uh, each country's equity financing, you know, um, the from, from each, each ASEAN countries. And that's why I said the availability of financing from the wealthier countries would, you know, would probably unlock um, the uh, difficulties that the, the project challenges. Sure, I see. And one last follow-up on this topic, I think I'll, I'll let Benny handle this first, is I think we talked about this a little bit throughout the podcast, but I'm just wondering what is an optimal level of clean energy imports in the next few years for Southeast Asia? I mean, balancing what potential Southeast Asia already has and the need to decarbonize faster. I mean, just how, how big should the role of energy clean energy imports be? for the region? Um, as mentioned before that we have around 7,700 of the existing cross-border, about 600 megawatts is under construction. And based on the power development plan and lots of projects and from the, our ASEAN interconnection master plan study, there will be another 18 or 20 gigawatt new interconnectivity in this region in the decade or so. This, at one point, enough to fulfill the needs for the clean energy in this region by our own uh, uh, self. And the, the success of the uh, Lao PDR, Thailand, Malaysia power interconnection project, which has now become uh, integrated with Singapore from the three countries, you know, become four countries, have provided significant confidence for the country in this region, collaboratively harnessing the regional indigenous resource to support the clean energy transition. So with that in mind, the level of, of the energy import will be more on fulfilling the remaining caps that the countries have. We're talking about the countries that are having a direct border uh, with the uh, countries that have a rich, uh, a rich supply on the clean energy resources. Um, I'm not sure that I can provide a number on that one, but um, from our uh, estimation, this is you know, we're talking about the 5% of the energy as a, uh, energy as a whole expected uh, from this uh, uh, import. Sure. Thanks, Benny. I, I'm sure it's hard to provide an estimate now when the projects are still many, many years away. But Erika, what's your general thoughts on this, on, on the optimal level of energy imports into Southeast Asia? Optimal energy level of... Um, I, I don't have a number with me right now for that. It's, uh, it's very difficult because when you talk about um, renewable energy in particular, are you talking about the base load? Are you talking about a follower? Are you talking about just a peak load? And um, uh, this will vary between countries. This will vary between the markets as well. So, yeah, I mean, optimally, everyone, every country is in this world need to transition as fast as possible, right? But whether they should be doing it through energy export and imports, it will depend on, um, you know, basically back to the basic, whether they have a surplus energy 
in their own country, whether they have a, a they are a, a surplus energy economy selling to an energy starved economy, for instance, or they they have their own local demand that they need to fulfill. And so they should be fulfilling their, their own domestic needs first before even thinking about uh, interconnections. Gotcha. Yeah, quite a few considerations there. And yeah, I think we've, we've covered a lot of ground already. I mean, just wanted to end off with one last question. Uh, Erica, maybe you can start first. Just wondering, you know, if you could look forward into, you know, 2030, 2040, 2050, how do you expect this energy import situation into Southeast Asia to play out in, in those few decades? I, I think the energy export import is great in concept. Interconnection should be taken as a one breather with the supply and demand consideration, if, if you know what I'm talking about. So you, we don't only talk about generations capacity, but we also talk about interconnections uh, capacity. And so in concept, it is really great, um, but there are some challenges. Uh, there are some issues that needs to be considered and taken into account. And I, I guess um, the ways forward, you know, to move forward is basically to realize whether each country has already fulfilled their own demand first. And uh, if they have and they have a surplus of um, supply, then they can, st- uh, they can start to think about selling it to other places. So um, I would really want to see Southeast Asia as a, con- uh, as, as a region to not just be importer, but also exporter of renewable energy. But whether that would be easy to do, I don't think so. But maybe in the next you know, few years, there are some um, updated situation and a stronger cooperation. All right. That, that's, that's a really very interesting outlook that if, you know, one day Southeast Asia can be a renewable energy exporter. Benny, uh, what's your thoughts too on, you know, how energy imports in Southeast Asia will play out in the next few decades, especially since I'm sure you are quite involved in all the discussions? Priya, uh, um, echo what Erika mentioned, the, the vision that we have in ASEAN when, as we are building the ASEAN power grid is not only become an isolated ASEAN power grid, but it will be part and integrated with the all of region where the export import of the electricity can be happen in more fluent uh, way. Uh, that's the long-term vision that we have. Um, and but again, but it's starting by having uh, fulfilling the uh, regional demand. Um, theoretically, I mean, it's gonna be we will both to fulfill our own and regional energy demand by sharing the resources among the countries. Um, so in this context, that the energy import might not play a significant role as we move to fulfilling the remaining gaps. But uh, we also experiencing recently where um, as the concern of the geopolitical become more and then the competitive among the region and the countries in this region is also uh, surface uh, to the new levels. We hear that how the Malaysia issued the memorandum uh, to not sell renewable energy electricity to the, uh, Singapore and then Alrika also just mentioned about the case for Indonesia. Uh, if that's continuously happen, then the Countries in this region might look alternative option 
finding their own way uh, to tap the energy from outside the region. So this is where the the, the energy will play a bigger role in this context. So at the end of the day is again back to how the government in this region is looking. Um, this issue not as a individual countries, uh, but more as a collective uh, region so that we can achieve this green energy transition in a much faster way, in more economical way, and uh, allowing everybody to harness the full potential of it. This podcast was hosted by EcoBusiness, Asia's leading media company serving the region's sustainability community. Join the conversation by visiting eco-business.com. Follow us on social media and subscribe to our newsletters. Thanks for listening.